Welcome to the Tria Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat Shanahan with Jamie Lamb and Jake Trayer. Hello there. Hi. It's our first time in a room together in a really, really long, long time. time. Yeah. Hey, so guys, we've got some, some big news to share. We um, are now not just a podcast and a website, but we are also book publishers. Not- Which is massive, right? Our, our first book is... Um, by P.D. Newman, who's a regular contributor to the to the blog. He's got a book, Angels in Vermilion. That yeah, just at the time of recording this, it pretty much has been out for a week. A week, yes. It's basically like the lineage or the sort of occult lineage of um, DMT and how yeah. that was cryptically passed um, through these societies, secret societies, really. Um, And how it kind of like um, it was not made, you know, the rest of the world was not made privy to this until deep into the 20th century, you know, until really the work of, I think, Strassman with the, the, you know, his um, um, spirit molecule, you know, the spirit molecule, DMT, the spirit molecule. So, um I don't think there's really been a huge expose about dimethyltryptamine until, um, you know, again, deep into the the 20th century. So preceding that, Newman really points out this uh, very secret and occult transmission, you know, this very like um, hidden, guarded secret, you know, it's a fascinating journey. And to see it pass um, specifically through the Royal Society, John D., Edward Kelly, into Desigulier and Preston and these ar- the architects of early Masonic ritual is just like, um, it's eye-opening. So it's, a, it's at once sort of a mystery um, and, and also a history and also just a really intriguing view of how we've gotten to this point from this um, entheogenic substance that's been around since time immemorial that has just come to the popular surface or the surface of the popular mind um, in the you know mid to late 20th century. Yeah, it's a really cool book. And we put a lot of time and effort into it. Looks really cool. Yeah, we it's got a, the covers by by Travis Lawrence, artist Travis Lawrence, who's a who's brother. a brother. Yeah, brother and it's just such a cool cover. It is a, it is a cool looking book. Yeah, great book. Pick it up uh, on our website, or I'm sure it's it's on Amazon as well. Probably at this point. Yeah, triaprima.co. Now enjoy our first podcast back from a long time. Any of the thoughts and opinions expressed are, um, are not, I don't know, what, what is well, the, well, they're not uh, representative of any particular jurisdiction, any particular Masonic jurisdiction. We are literally three people who are just talking to each other, totally improvised about a certain subject. One cut. One cut, yeah. So, and, and the idea, I guess, for this episode is Masonic memorization. Why do we do that? That sort of thing. What's the importance about um, memorization in the craft? 
right? Right. I, I, I think this is a, a timely topic. I'm in the process of, of uh, getting ready to have my um, first degree examination where I've had to memorize a lot of stuff. And, and you have, have been going, well, both of you have been going way more than, than I have on. So wait, so we should start with you. So what's your, what are the requirements of your Blue Lodge? You have to do the catechism, the obligation, and is there anything else? Yeah, well, there was, there was a, uh, you had to memorize and perform a section of the the ritual. Um, I did the working tools of the first degree. Of the first degree. Um, what are those working tools? The twenty four inch gauge and the common gavel. Mm. Yeah. And then uh, I have to do a catechism and a presentation, and uh, and then the the obligation. So. so the catechism for people who don't know. Um, Jake, what is the catechism? Well, first of all, it's pretty cool. This conversation is particularly cool because we're all at like kind of different stages of of uh, our Masonic career. How so? That ha- that are requiring different um, levels of memorization. I feel like so. Yeah. I just want to preface by saying that's cool. Jamie's about to go into the East. I'm doing. Uh, I'm jumping in to do the lecture for the for the second degree, and like Pat just said, he's doing the um, EA proficiency stuff. So it's all it's kind of all different, um, which is, makes this a cool conversation. But uh, the catechism, the catechism, I guess, is a uh, recapitulation of. The degree that the candidate just went through. What a Masonic word. After recapitulating to right. him the manner of his reception, exactly. etc. What's a that's the best. Did you learn recapitulation from Masonic ritual? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Not a common I've, word, but you yeah, definitely see it in Freemasonry. What's like a regular word to use there? It's regular. I mean All it's right. not super crazy, but yeah. it's but it's so, certainly something that's, that's in a, the ritual, right? It's a dollar word. That's all right. Yeah. What's a what's one dollar? What are we calling a fifty cent word then? Something shorter than recapitulation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, the catechism is uh is that uh at I guess uh, a really zoomed in view from a ten thousand foot view. Maybe it's what we're about to get into in terms of our conversation about building a memory temple and that more uh uh. Dude, you're totally blowing the where we were building up to. <laughs> to say memory temple is to give away the exact end of this conversation. Are that, we done? That would hey, be, thanks, everybody. Jake, Jake likes to tell the punchlines first. Before no, that'd be lame if we just waited till the end to bring that up. True. We're getting there. So so that's I guess that's the simple answer for me. I don't know. There's in Arizona. It's interesting because there's short form and long form. So there are not a lot of lodges that I'm aware of that actually ask the candidates to do the long form catechism. So by short form and long form, what precisely are you talking about? So I don't even. I couldn't even tell you what the short form requirements are. I think short form in most jurisdictions is signs, grips, and words. Right? And, and the obligation. So uh, I'm pretty, I don't know. We, pretty I, sure the obligation. You always have to do the obligation. So I, I think it's the the questions are left out. 
Signs, grips, words, and obligation. And obligation. You think that's the standard short form across Pretty, jurisdictions? At least in Arizona. I don't want to say across jurisdictions, but I'm sure a lot of other jurisdictions would min- or mirror what we have going on. Well, I know that with Pat, since Pat Shanahan right here has been coming up in Ascension Lodge in Phoenix, Arizona, we require not only the the maximum of our jurisdiction which is the what is our maximum it is um the catechism the obligation and science scripts and words yeah everything we just said for short form plus the q a so okay. the catechism so yeah so pat is having to do more than that in that he is also having to bite off a chunk of ritual and you are doing the working tools for the EA degree, is that right? I did. I, I've, I've already performed it. The I got to perform that during the first EA degree that I witnessed after becoming a, an entrepreneur. That's right. Now, now, that's interesting right there. So you've had to memorize a chunk of ritual in addition to the catechism and your obligation. Absolutely. And um, how did it feel in on a live degree like i know that you did this on an actual degree right yeah it was and it was the first degree that i saw <clears throat> performed after having been made a mason and um it, for for me it was a, an amazing experience to, to 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 witness the degree being performed but then to be able to present to a, you know a, somebody who's new these these working tools that I had just been thinking about ever since I had been made a mason and yeah, and um, you were word perfect it, 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 you, it, you nailed it oh thank you which is cool yeah. it was and and the other great thing for me was is I really felt like I was part of the lodge that was the moment that I really felt like oh I'm part of this here I am the the newest guy and I'm I'm standing up <clears throat> with a spotlight on performing a piece of of, of ritual and and wow, I'm I'm really in part of this lodge. I'm not just a spectator. And it, so so that's interesting right there because like a lot of people have different techniques, and you just coming in cold. Obviously, you're you're an entered apprentice right now, right? Yeah, still because of because of because of COVID. Because of COVID. Yeah. So you you learned the working tools and you delivered them on an EA degree. So what? What would you say, was it rote memorization, just repetition going over it? What was your technique that you applied? Well, that, that, that's been the, the, was the interesting thing at the start is I haven't had to memorize anything since I was in, you know, high school and uh, maybe, maybe college had to be do that. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of rote memorization, just kind of memorizing each word, taking it almost like learning a piece of music where you learn one bar, then you learn the next bar, and then you put them together, and then you kind of keep going. Um, I was doing that, and then and then it was thinking about the meaning and how it relates to my life, you know, um, thinking about the, the tools and then the lesson that it's trying to teach and then thinking about, okay, well, in my life, what do I do, you know? And uh, I found a lot of value in that. I, I, so it was something where you automatically found it applicable it was like you were getting into the content of what you were trying to deliver oh absolutely while yeah. you were memorizing it yeah absolutely i th- i think uh well the i think the easiest way to 
to learn something like that, to, to learn it word by word, is, is to create an emotional connection with the material. You know, it's the, it's the same thing like if you, uh, if you hear somebody who is like a Shakespearean actor, um, a Shakespearean actor who just, just knows the words and is just saying the words that they memorize perfectly, it sounds so stilted. But you, you listen to a Shakespearean actor who knows what, each, what those complex phrases really mean and the passion behind it and it's just like oh that's you get it you know you may not even yeah. you know reading it may be hard to get but if you hear somebody who really is in passion say those those lines it's it's powerful and so i guess in my head i was just trying to like okay let me let me create an emotional connection by relating it to my life you know yeah, yeah. it kind of builds up i feel like for, for me it starts as repetition or trying to just yeah. kind of wrote memorize stuff or read through it a bunch of times and it kind of uh gains more meaning and value the more i i go over it so the first one i learned was the apron Mm. lecture when i was i don't know if i was an ea giving that in lodge but i i might have been i mean i i joined in a lodge that was quite a bit older than me the entire lodge you know in a small town and northern arizona and um wait so gasp you were in a lodge full of older men i was yeah okay at 19 striking yeah. i mean yeah but like astonishing really quite not a bit older okay yeah so uh sorry if any of the cy harrison guys are listening <laughs> whoops no um they threw me in right away though i mean i i jumped straight into uh like a senior steward chair and did the apron lecture for pretty much n- until i moved out of pace in arizona but or even after i remember I, I moved to flag and i would drive down in between i would do them at flagstaff lodge and go and do them at and Payson. but for me it started kind of meaningless it started just as okay i gotta like it felt kind of like a task kind of like homework you know um and it was th- it was the most meaningful lecture i got during my degree it was i felt like it was the most emotional aspect of the degree that i went through but then as i began to try to memorize that that lecture kind of lost some some meaning for a bit i wasn't thinking in that in that mode or in that way um but then the more comfortable i got with the lines and the the more the more i did it in lodge like during an actual life degree the more meaning it gained and though actually the more emotional it got every time so I, pro- I don't know how many times I've probably done it 20 times or something you know but now it's it's just like burned in there it's burned into my head and um, same same now with like most of the second degree lecture that's what I'm going through right now and a few other things and same deal it's like the further I've gotten in the more the more meaning it gains but I don't kind of go into it thinking about the meaning I, I have to start just like repetition repetition do you go paragraph by paragraph or oh um yeah yeah typically uh, you get a paragraph down and then so you I try move to go to yeah I try to go paragraph and then and then like a line or two into the next one and then when I start the next section or the next paragraph I do the same thing so I actually hop into the next one so when it's time to piece them all together or at least do them in bigger sections then I already know kind of 
where each paragraph starts, it's easier to kind of stitch them together, I feel like. Right. So I, I read a little past into the next one every time. Mm. That's generally how I do it. But a lot of repetition. And er, the, early on, I, I haven't done this as much recently, but I would record myself. I think a lot of guys do this. A lot of Masons I hear. I have never done that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would record myself. And then on my long drives, because I would drive from Payson to Flag, I would just listen to it on repeat. repeat is it repeat. helpful? Yeah, because then I started to say it with myself. The hardest thing was when I recorded it, I didn't record it with like the cadence that I would have liked to have done in a lodge room. Um, so I had to I had to re-record a couple times with better cadence and inflection here and there, and then I would just say it with myself. But so, I haven't done that for any of the secondary. I just did that with the apron. So here's a sticky question about recording yourself for memorization. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have things like cut, carve, hue, mm-hmm. hack, etch, mark, letter, engrave, whatever, mm-hmm. all of those things in the obligation. That's first-degree stuff, right? Yeah. So we have those sort of things so of course in the modern age if we're considering um stamp stain cut carve hue hack etch letter and engrave and all these sort of things uh we are we are of course also considering by extrapolation um digital recording right i mean it's just i don't think so so you think because it's not in there yeah um we amend our ritual all the time why true true so does, though it does, does not it does say, say legible or intelligible doesn't it, it yeah says, and it, yeah sure but again kind of in regards to the things that it's just outlined i mean i'm not trying to bust your chops about it i'm just saying that that would we not extrapolate our obligation out to digital recording as well just on principle maybe. yeah maybe yeah i don't know um and and I'm not saying this because I am one who does not record it. I think I do not record it just because I don't particularly see the value in that. Mm. You know, recording it and listening to Here's it. Here's why I think I've done, I, I've done that. Mm. It's because um, you wouldn't consider me a musician because I'm a drummer. So, but coming from a pseudo musical background. Well, a drummer is somebody who hangs out with music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, that's that's the line. I uh, that's how I memorize music that I see, both in school and just playing on my kid at home. I just that's how I memorize songs. Just listening, recording, listening to them over and over and over again. Just playing to them over and over again. So that's where my mind went immediately with the right. memorization. I was like, well, it's just listen to it over and over and over again. Hmm. Yeah. You didn't do that. Did also, you, the majority of our. Uh, you know, the majority of that book is... Uh, Our ritual book? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's published. Or you can go buy... Duncan's you know, Duncan's right off the shelf. And True, but Duncan's is vastly different from Arizona ritual. For example. Pretty different. Rel- yeah, I mean, rel- vastly different to us. Not vastly different necessarily to the, to the layman. True. That's right. relative. Yeah, all the central points are there, I yeah. believe. Um... Pat, you didn't. Did you record yourself at any time doing the uh, uh, working tools? No, no. I I just took it. You know, uh, he maintained his sentence frag, fragment is to sentence fragment, and then just kind of put them together. And 
so do we so do you feel that we need to enact any sort of penal penalties on Jake for having <laughs> um for having um maybe overstepped his obligation a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't Yeah, are there provisions for like maybe an inf- infraction? I mean, since we're already here, it's it's literally just me, you and Jake right now, so all of us have taken a first degree obligation so we know the gravity of that obligation so if if we know that jake maybe kind of was dicey in a little area of that is there anything you feel that we need to be doing right now or well here's here's where your whole argument falls apart and it's the what you what you said legible or intelligible to To, any person to others but I never exposed any of those audio recordings to to anyone else. So yeah, so that's weird. So, so it never became legible or intelligible to my other person. No, I get that. And you know what's weird is I've heard people over the years say like, particularly sort of old timers, I guess, will say like, "Oh yeah, I just you know I deliver it to my wife and she." Oh okay. Um, well, I would net yeah. That's and she checks me out through the the ritual book, you know. And so it's like I've heard that several times, and I really? thought to myself, "Are you kidding me? You're really delivering this lecture or this catechism or this obligation to your wife, and she is holding the book across from you in the kitchen." I've, ne- I've never heard that. You've never heard that. No, I've heard that a few times. I've, you're, you're, I've heard that too. Really. <laughs> From from a Mason, like from a Mason, just casually saying that to you. Yeah. Don't even tell me who, because we might need to enact some wow. penalties on somebody. Yeah, that's that's crossing a line, in my opinion. It's, I mean, it's clearly crossing a line, yeah. and that and that isn't like. Do you know if they were saying the obligation, I'm or the I'm sorry, the penalty? I'm not sure. Hmm. I mean, that's. I mean, if anything, we're not going to say the penalty, right? I, I mean, would, if I would hope so. Yeah. But someone that goes as far as to like have anyone check them on their <laughs> anyone that's not a mason check them on their hand them their ritual book. No, so uh, so check this out. Here's kind of a funny story. Is Stephanie and I, my wife and I will sometimes get froyo and we'll watch like various documentaries and sometimes I will pick out a masonic documentary. And there was one that came out that was like they essentially went through a lot of third degree stuff, you know, in the in the thing. And they they, in fact, did go through something resembling the obligation that we're familiar with, at least in Arizona. And um, and since then, Stephanie has said to me, um, (laughs) she has said to me, Okay, yeah, you better not tell anybody or we will have to um we will have to bury your tongue in the beach. Wow. <laughs> she has said to me. So she says this goofing around. She says we will bury your tongue in the beach. You know, which like obviously that's like weird that's kind of there's a syntax error there and everything. But uh, it's I find it hilarious. It's almost like I don't know. It's wait. You said they said the obligation on this show, or they said the penalty. 
uh, well, the, the, obli- whole thing? The, obli- the whole thing, the penalty as being part of the obligation. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was in this program. I forget which documentary it was, but ever since then, Stephanie will periodically goof around with me, saying, "Oh, you better not tell anybody that, or we will bury your tongue in the in the beach." And you just <laughs> give her that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm like, no. I always say, to my credit, I'm always like, that's not even a thing. What are you even talking about? You know, I just jive my way through it. I'm like, that's, what does that even mean? Where did you even get that? Mm -hmm. You know, I just kind of stonewall at that point. But, um, but it's a thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into Does she listen to these? No, she won't hear this. All right. She (laughs) she hears enough of me. She doesn't need that. But, uh, so So, memorization, right? Yeah. So, Jamie, you've been really hitting the memorization hard here the past couple of weeks um and we and you and months. i months months and you and i have had some really cool conversations about that so what what have you been preparing for and what's what have you gotten out of it so so in arizona to move to the east which i'm doing in you know i've already sat there once and I'm moving there. I'm being installed like within the next month or two. And um, what you have to know to meet proficiency to move to the east is you have to know to open, close, and obligate or and completely confer degrees on all three degrees. So you have to know open, close, obligate, and conferring the degree on. Entered Apprentice, Fellow Craft, and Master Mason. In Arizona, you also have to know one complete lecture. So years ago, when I was a senior deacon, I learned the second degree lecture, what in Connecticut we called the middle chamber lecture, which was lengthier than the one that we have in Arizona because it contained monitorial material, which is to say... um, it's just extra stuff. I don't know the exact definition, but when there's monitorial material, there's like extra material that's appended to what there is strictly in the lecture and ritual. Uh, or that's my understanding, at least. Anyway, it was a long lecture, that second degree lecture. I learned that years ago when I was a senior deacon. And I delivered it, I don't know, two or three times at that time. But... um I haven't had to bite off a chunk like that because right after I was senior deacon, I went straight to the organ. So I was lodge organist in all in my lodge, my mother lodge back east and my affiliate lodges out west. So I always went straight to the organ because everybody wants an organist. So I never got back in line. So it's only recently at Ascension Lodge here in Phoenix that I got back in line. So consequently, as I was moving through the pedestals, the pedestal offices, that is to say junior and senior warden and then master, uh, worshipful master, I had to um, meet proficiency. And the proficiency for those is you have to open, close, obligate, and completely confer the degree on every degree. And for Master Mason, you have to know a complete lecture. So I figured, okay, I already did the second degree lecture, the Fellcraft lecture or the middle chamber. Um, And I looked around in my lodge and I was like, okay, 
there's a, a handful of people who know the first degree. There's a handful of people who know the second degree. But I, in fact, don't know anybody who does, who knows the third degree in my Blue Lodge, you know, which is a relatively new Blue Lodge that we chartered. So I was like, how can I be the most useful? And I figured, okay, I'm just going to bite off the third degree lecture. Now, it's a formidable lecture in Arizona because I think a lot of monitorial stuff is in there. It's longer than the one in Connecticut, I think. So it is literally nine pages in our ritual book, and I believe it's 19 paragraphs. And I'm not talking about modern paragraphs in a blog or anything like that. I'm talking about Edgar Allan Poe paragraphs. These are, you know, giant paragraphs, right? And there's 19 of them. So it's a formidable thing. So I had, um, let's say, a couple of months tops to get this together because it was kind of sprung on me a little bit, right? And um, I spent... I want to say a minimum hour a day, you know, and I did it like you got, like, it sounds like you guys did it where I, I sat there and I, I bit off a paragraph and I just, I read over it several, first I read the entire thing a few times just to get a big picture overview, just kind of get the lay of the land. And then I took it paragraph by paragraph and, um, you know, I read through that paragraph a few times and then I tried to kind of put the book down on my lap and kind of recite it, you know. So, no, I did not have, I did not go into, now this is important, I think. I did not go into it with the idea that I am erecting a memory temple or a memory palace, right? That was the product of learning it. So, this is what to me is fascinating about Masonic memorization and what I think is the kernel of why we do this sort of thing is that we memorize these things by whatever methodology we're, we're comfortable with but what we are doing is digesting a microcosmic lodge and a microcosmic temporal ritual in our minds so we have space and time masonic space time that we are literally digesting and creating this space time and it is space time i want to clarify that it's a chunk of space time because it is it is sequential certain things build on other things and where there is a sequence there is time right but it's also spatial because anytime you look at any Masonic ritual, we are constantly talking about, oh, whence and whither. Oh, from, from west to east and from east to west again. Where does the worshipful master sit? In the east. Where does the junior warden sit? In the south. What are your duties there? You know, like we're constantly orienting ourselves to these four cardinal points. That is not, an. I believe that that is not accidental. And I know I'm talking a lot right now, but I, I just want to get this point across. Um, we are digesting chunks of Masonic space-time when we do our memorization, and we are internalizing that. And by doing so, we are creating or erecting 
a microcosmic temple, a mnemonic temple in our minds, whether you call it a mnemonic temple, an intellectual temple, or an astral temple, or an egregorical temple, any of those things. We're, we're kind of working on one of the planes so if there if if there can set if there can be said to be several planes upon which the temple archetype manifests one of those is the mnemonic plane right and when we do our memorization we are erecting that mnemonic temple so yes we have the temple downtown where all the lodges meet right that's the physical brick and mortar temple we have the house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, which is the celestial temple. You know, there are, there are, there's a fractal expanse of the temple archetype. And one of those that is so crucial in that hermetic expanse of the temple archetype is the mnemonic temple. So that's why, and I'm about to close this up, that's why I think that that's so important is because when we do this memorization, which we are required to do, why else would we be required to do? I don't think the Elks or the Rotary or the Kiwanis Club, I don't think any of those people are required to bite off these large chunks of memorization, right? Uh, specifically on such an abstruse topic as King Solomon's Temple, let's say. We're erecting that as Masons, in our minds you know and there's more to be said about that that's a massive topic with with inestimable implications you know the implications of that are staggering you know if you just unpack that idea right there well one of the the things that, that i've found in the process of creating that temple that mnemonic temple and I you know I kind of said this earlier but gain more meaning the, the more I did it but it also um, knowing knowing those things on that level so not just like kind of remembering parts of the ritual like little bits here and there but actually like knowing it by heart kind of follows you around in your mundane life so I know that um, my, you know, circumscribing my own action, you know, those things that we talk about, you know, squ squaring your actions, all that sort of stuff. I didn't even have to try to do that once I was had all this ritual memorized. It was just kind of always there, like latent, like ready to kind of check me. Like I, I thought of, there was like all these synapse jumps or whatever, Anytime I would come to a, an important decision or something like that, it just like jumped to my forward consciousness. Like these things that I had been memorizing always manifested themselves or emerged out of my subconscious in my mundane life. So in dealing with relationships or this or that, I just like, they just jumped out at me all the time. And I don't think that happens without memorization. If you're just remembering little bits and you know, tidbits of the ritual after you, and you never actually make an effort to memorize the ritual. I don't think that happens. I think you actually have to kind of try harder to to let the principles of Freemasonry sort of 
sort of be a guiding light to you if that's if that's even a goal of yours as a mason which i hope hope it is but um yeah i found that that was really cool and and it surprised me almost every time and it still kind of does every time i learn something new it's like it applies itself in my life all the time which is pretty cool I found the same thing. Yeah? Yeah, I found exactly the same thing happen. Where once I got past the the words, once I got past the actual like trying to memorize the words and the sentence, and now I was just concentrating on meaning, um, you know, all of a sudden it would intersect with my life all, all over the place. Um, driving, at work, you know, in in my marriage, you know, all these different places yeah, where places you would never l- think little phrases would pop up and be like, oh yeah, okay, that's oh that's an interesting meaning, you mm-hmm. know, because because a lot of these symbols they mean different. You, you know, we're taught they mean one thing maybe, but there's other things that they could mean also, and I think it's up to all of us to try to figure out what those are, and yeah. and sometimes those things will pop up. There's other there's other alternate extra meanings of some of the symbols. He, here's another thing that was cool it makes reading books way better as a freemason so if all that stuff is just sitting right there you know anytime i read a book now those things are just like constantly jumping to the to the front of my mind as i'm reading through a book especially you know i would say especially if you're interest interested in you know writing um masonic articles or uh a book even Memorizing will make that process. Memorizing Blue Lodge ritual will make that process so much cooler. If that's if that's what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. I think um, it's invaluable to try to try at least to memorize the ritual. If you're trying to be, uh, if you're rather trying to put out any sort of uh, Masonic literature, or if you're just trying to enjoy a book that has been recommended to you or something or that you've found because of your newfound interests in masonry it's it's made reading books more understandable you know in the context of freemasonry and just generally more fun to read because i all these I've had all these realizations that i don't think i would have had had i not had ritual just always sitting right there like ready to go do you think that um, the memorization of Masonic ritual uh, reprograms our synapses in some way, or it, like it creates synaptic um, connections? I, I think mean, just memorizing does that. Yeah, sure. I don't think. I think subject aside, I think the process of memorizing large pieces of information or large you know bits of tech 19 large paragraphs of yeah. ritual just that process will do that that i mean that's the most uneducated you know i don't i'm just that would be my thought so what are the implications of that you think i mean obviously we're laymen we're not like neuroscientists or anything of course it but- seems to me like you're flexing a muscle seems to me and i've i'm not like i've heard and read that from scholarly sources like, so I, I've at least heard that or read that a few times that certainly the act of of memorizing is like flexing a mental muscle. What that means exactly, I don't know. Maybe it is creating more synapse. You know, it's just strengthening your ability to um, to speak to. So I well, 
There's a there's an EA in the room, so I don't want to get too specific. Well, wait, but- wait. So that sounds like you were you were saying that it made me think of the network you know we talk well again this is second degree stuff but we talk about the network lily work and pomegranates and that network is what kind of flashed to me when you said that is like when we create a network i mean look how it is on in like computer science i guess you know something i don't know anything about but i i will say that we create a network in that certain pathways are linked in communication mm-hmm. right so when we're creating a network in our minds through memorization which is something that necessarily happens right because new synaptic trails are blazed right mm-hmm. and as those trails are blazed it's just like when somebody's oh it's just a habit of mine that i do x y and z that habit has a, a neurological sort of analog, right? Mm. When somebody has a habit, it's, it's because there are certain synaptic trails that have been blazed that have made certain activities habitual, right? So, so when we are memorizing Masonic ritual, are we not um, in making this network of connections, and, and I think this almost answers your question as to why, you know, you'll be going through life and then all of a sudden some um, Masonic platitude, you know, regarding the working tools or whatever, yeah. and it just pops into your mind. Mm-hmm. It's because it's, it's part of, it's a newly installed program in your network. I also, yeah, cool. I also think a part of that is the, once it's there... It's the associative thinking in your brain that, um, kind of like the path of least resistance. Well, well, it's it's the the part of your brain that's it, it's the self reflection. It's the, you know, once it's there, then it's kind of like, well, what does this mean to my life, or how does this mean to right now, or, um, and it's it's the associative thinking part of your brain that's kind of finds those overlaps in in, kind of shows you the meaning shows you the meaning for right in this moment that you need at least that's kind of how i see it that's and that's yeah. what happens for me is it'll pop up when i'm um when i'm thinking about how i'm spending my day or i'm thinking about you know sure yeah and like kind of contemplative moments you're like oh, right am i doing the am i making the best choice of my time right now that sort of thing right yeah, sure. right 24 inch ga- or gauge pops right in your mind right for sure there so here here's Kind of something I haven't thought about before. So, like, if you wanna, if you wanna get really good at target shooting or something, you have to do that. You have to do that a lot. It's like, well, they, they say 10,000 10, hours, right, to be a, a master at a, any particular any particular yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I, I would assume that you, you can't just like quit after ten thousand. You, you've got to continue the craft, right? So, just taking any riding a bike, whatever. You know, you've got to continue, continue to do that. There's some things that are harder to. But I think riding a bike might be a little easier to pick up than, say, long range target shooting or, or archery pl- or something like playing that. Playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that sounds that sounds like a. Uh, so you're you're kind of building up your muscle memory doing that, right? Um, but there's a difference. Um, so you you talked about, or at least you brought up, rote memorization, which implies. Well, or 
does not imply necessarily, I guess, m meaning. Driving any meaning or trying to apply any meaning from that thing. You're just, it's like when you're in college and you're just cramming for a test and you're trying to memorize answers. And like the alphabet or the multiplication yeah, tables. Yeah, you're like, just. Um, it's abstract. Right. That seems like the same thing you're doing when you're building that muscle memory. You know, so the thing with the kind of the memory that we're talking about, it seems like it has the addition of having meaning or value um, almost without trying. Like, the more, the more I did it, I didn't necessarily try to pull all this meaning or, or apply all this meaning to that stuff. It just kind of naturally or organically emerged at during the process you know i don't think you can so, you can help it i think you, so it, it becomes the self-reflection side yeah that's the coolest thing to me about about memorizing the the ritual so is, would you say is it safe to say that masonic memorization is like um uploading or installing a program you're trying to get really techy tonight well, I mean, I think it's applicable. I, I think it's. I think it's a way. I think so. Analog, analogically. Um, I, th I think so, but it's different for you know everyone's experience is different. You know, so we 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 uh, I'm sure the three of us have applied different meaning to any one symbol, and that's the right. same across the craft. So it's might be a little bit of an oversimplification to say just like uploading a thing because it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Right. So that's kind of the point I'm making, that the building that memory temple, that yeah. mnemonic temple, has this this interesting extra layer of having unique meaning to each mason. So I would say, really, you can't, you, you can't get the full Masonic experience without doing some memorization. Oh, you of cannot. No I mean, way. that's obviously. Okay, so yeah, I mean... I was going to say, I, I think it's kind of like having Photoshop on your computer, right? Um, you you can make a picture brighter or pick, make a picture darker. And you can real basic things with it. Editing. Editing. Or you can, com you can take multiple images and combine them together and you can create a completely different piece of artwork. And I think uh, just having it in your brain is just having is just doing the basics is having the basics of photoshop but then when you when you really understand it that's like being able to take pieces of from one thing and merging it in with your life and, and create something right bigger you know there's also the idea that um all freemasons i guess right have to have to digest a certain amount of ritual right so if if all Freemasons in all jurisdictions, let's just say theoretically, had to digest at least the catechism and the obligation, then we are all, as Masons, contributing to an egregorical temple. Now, and I say this specifically, and to kind of unpack that a bit, so each of us, of course, can erect our own personal mnemonic temple, right? So just like we all do, we memorize things and there's orientation in the lodge room. You know where East is, you know where the altar is, you know how the floor work goes. And you've digested this stuff and you've oriented yourself 
in your own specific mnemonic temple, right? As you go through ritual, you know. But um, so that's kind of individualized, right? But what's interesting, I think, is that all Masons are contributing to that mnemonic edifice. And if all Masons are contributing to this mnemonic temple, at what point does it become a collective thought form? And I say collective thought form because that is pretty much the definition of an egregore, right? So you hear that word thrown around a lot. And to clarify kind of what it basically means, an egregore is a sort of collective mental projection, you know, that a group of people contribute to. It's, it's as if, I think a good analogy is if... Um, like holograms or holographs or whatever they are, right? You get various um, uh, focused beams of light that intersect each other and create a three-dimensional three image, right? I think that's how that works or something like that, right? The light is projected and it creates a seemingly three-dimensional image, right? So a collective thought form or an egregore is much like that in in that many individuals project their view of let's say in the masonic case on a temple right and if we are all projecting our specific individualized perspectives to this temple then we are creating this holographic temple and that that is an egregorical temple it is a collective thought form so we as freemasons share this egregorical temple because we all contribute through our individualized mnemonic temples to this um more expansive broader egregorical temple on a higher hermetic plane, you know, on a higher, does that make sense? Yeah. What was your, your, there was a question in there though, that I think it said like at what point or something, is that what you said? At what point does it really become its own like thought form? Yeah, I guess. I mean, because, so this is kind of how I would understand that. It's like, if you try to play the, if the three of us try to play or, you know, adds five more, if eight people try to play the telephone game, you know, there's a good chance that it's not going to get to the from the first to the last person intact as it as it were when it started mm-hmm. or the the message the meaning that was or the symbol whatever you know so this very gray and there I don't think there's a very obvious line but at some point you know en- enough people um practice this oral tradition I, and I guess that's at some point it becomes an oral tradition that just that just I guess the definition in my mind would be that um, it's when an unwritten tradition right and that and that thought form I guess would emerge the one you're, you kind of asked or talked about emerges when meaning can be conveyed like cross generationally, if that's a term at all, right? Yeah. Um, 
even if it was just like rote memorization for two, three generations. Like once that thought form is so strong and it's been built up by so many people that it can pass through generate, which is something that Freemasonry has done phenomenally, right? Mm-hmm. It's gone through generations of like dare I say like lesser inter- or masons that are interested lesser and in maybe it's more esoteric or deeper meaning you know and they were just kind of doing it for the fraternal aspect this or that it's gone through generations and darker times where the meaning of freemasonry wasn't probably necessarily at the forefront of freemasonry's mind or you know egregor or whatever but other generations are able to pick that up in a in an oral tradition like freemasonry pretty much is you know to an extent i still see it as one um so where that you know i don't think it's a very clear line because there's there's many traditions that have been been passed down unwritten like that but at some point it reaches a level level where that message even if it's told even with even like freemasonry right there's different ritual all over the place but i think generally freemasonry all over the world at this point now having had what probably tens of millions of members right over its history generally speaking like that hologram whatever that hologram i guess you're explaining is the collective the body collective of the, meaning yeah right. and it can just pass on now it's as long as there's enough brothers i guess to to continue that tradition and keep passing it but it's harder obviously with less and less people which would be one fear about um you know declining membership in the craft or whatever but um that's how i would see it when something is built to that point to where it can just keep going regardless of its members really caring or not what the what the more esoteric or deeper meaning is and others can glean way down the road what what it might be then that's a pretty solid egregore yeah any final words or anything, Pat? Observations, insights, anything like that? I just, I just think it's going to make me appreciate what, what I, I have in store for me as I progress to the second and third degree and start learning some of those lectures. And, um, you know, it's, it is work, but at the same time, the, it has, has a big payoff, I think capital w work yeah yeah is it not um the um most sort of uh uh, it requires the most of us out of any of the work that we do as masons i think you know memorization of ritual and of lectures etc and of floor work and things like that i mean everything else is just showing up someplace and being being a good person and you know i mean there's that stuff but the labor i think is really when you have to sit in an officer's chair learn your part be able to um synthesize that part with the greater within the context of the ritual with everybody else and learn how to you know sequence and time things and where is my part where does my part begin where does his part end you know how do we so it it is like um 
you know, there definitely seems to be that part of it. But my main takeaway, I think, is uh, is that we create a microcosmic temple in our minds and we contribute to a macrocosmic egregorical temple um, outside of our minds. You know, it's, it's an external... That's fascinating to me. It's an, it's an external edifice that every Mason contributes to that does not belong to any Mason in particular. You know? So it's something that's externalized um, somehow. And to me, that's the, in, the, that's the most intriguing part are these planes upon which the temple manifests itself. But, uh, Jake, any last uh, words or anything? Yeah, I would just say, uh, like, take parts. Get uncomfortable. Like, that's... Uh, I didn't want to do any public speaking. I didn't realize that's kind of what I was getting into when I joined Masonry. But um, anything that was thrown at me, I just took, and it, it's paid off, like tenfold in my opinion the uncomfortability of doing it a few times is far outweighed by the reward of building that mnemonic temple mm -hmm. so i would say to anyone that might be uneasy about doing a lecture or whatever d just take it like take it and get uncomfortable with it do it uh yeah so we should let's wrap it up huh yeah yeah so uh this is this has been uh Episode six, I think. Number six. I think we're back six. in the actual studio. Back in the same room, recording a Trio Prima podcast. 